0: Are you ready? Yeah, I can go on. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I know you're gonna put those things inside so that you can <laughs> laugh. <laughs> well, hello, uh, my name is Steve Michios, uh from Vienna, Austria. I just want to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And as we say in Vienna, Frohe Weihnachten und alles Gute zu Neues Jahr. May God
1: bless you. One of our Christmas traditions as a family is we just always leave our Christmas lights up. We put Christmas lights on the front of the house and my wife had the idea, she said January, it just seemed like it's a a depressing month. So it's been a tradition for the last several years, we leave our Christmas lights up all through the month of January (laughs) and take them down in February. So that's one of our traditions.
2: Hello brothers and sisters, I'm Max Bartkowski, a missionary and pastor from Poland. I'm bringing greetings and uh, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas uh, as a pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Virgos. Uh, I'm so thankful for your partnership in the gospel and for
1: your support. My name is Derek Melton. I'm the pastor of Grace Life Church in Pryor, Oklahoma. Just wanted to say Merry Christmas to each of you. And I know you as well as we are so thankful that our Lord broke into the world and that he became flesh, that he obeyed God's law perfectly for us and in the fullness of time went to the cross and became a curse for us that we can be reconciled to God. What a glorious and wonderful Savior we have. So from Grace Life Church and from uh, myself and my wife, Stacy, Merry Christmas and may the Lord's blessing be on you richly. Hello, my name is Pastor Kevin Godin from Redeeming Grace Church in Southgate, Michigan. We pray that the Lord would continue to bless you as you reflect upon his birth and the salvation that God provides through Jesus Christ this Christmas. and We wish you Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Greetings, Anchored in Truth family. My name is Pastor Blake. I serve the Lord at Grace Baptist Church in Selkirk, Manitoba, Canada. I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We pray that God's blessings will abound in us so that through us, his kingdom may increase and his name be hallowed, not only in Canada, but all across the earth. God bless you.
3: Muli Bwanji. That's a greeting from my home country, Zambia. That's how we say hi. This is uh, Mwindulambewe. Lambewe. been with Anchored in Truth at Hillview Baptist Church since 2019. And uh, so uh, grateful for your prayers and support since then up until now. Just want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and pray that God will give you a wonderful time with your families and that you look forward to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. God bless you. Hola, como están? Hello, how are you? Mi nombre es Juan Taxa. My name is Juan Taxa. Soy del Perú. I'm from Perú. Desarrollamos el ministerio. We develop a in, los pueblos. in the towns. Isa, Tupe, Colca. Isa, Tupe, Ellos hablan el dialecto. They speak the language, De is called Hakaru. Eh, de parte de nosotros, we send to le, you le our greetings and our best wishes for the, a, a Happy Merry Christmas to, to all the Christians family. Gracias. Thank you so much. I'm Pastor Timoteo Gattis Jr. from Quezon City, Philippines. I'm Ira Gattis. Pastor of Grace Life Church of Mayatas. I'm Jeremy Agatis, Pastor of San Carlos, Pangasinan. A joyous greetings to all from the Philippines. Maligayang Pasko at manigong bagong taon. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Greetings brothers and sisters in the north grateful that I could talk to you, Grace Life, Church Family, Anchored in Truth, Ministry. Thank you very much for your great partnership with us in ministry. I am Joseph Mashaula. come from South Africa. I serve at Christ Baptist Church, and we have different ministries in our church, including Christ Seminary, which I'm quite sure you are aware of. I want to bring you greetings and I just want to thank you for your great partnership with our ministry. And at this time of the year, I would really like to wish you a very blessed Christmas. In Sepedi, which is uh, a native language in uh, Polukwani, I would like to say, and even a happy new year. May the Lord bless you that means thank you.
4: Hi, this is Ali McLachlan and my wife Caroline and Martha from Grace Baptist Church, Edinburgh in Scotland. And we just wanna say that we love you and we wanna wish you a very happy Christmas. Happy, happy Christmas. Christmas. Hey, my name's Seth Channel, and I have the privilege of serving at Grace Life Church of Ankeny, Iowa. And on behalf of our church, and my family, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and have a Happy New Year.
1: I'm Josh Tancordo from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Redeeming Grace Church, and I just wanted to wish you all a Merry Christmas and say thank you so much for your prayers and support.
0: Hello, my name is Pastor Mike Lanzast. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we, we, I got to look to the camera though, right? Right? Okay, okay. 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 I'm ready. Well, oh, you're recording all this? No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hello, my name is Pastor Mike klein I am pastor of Grace Life Church in Richmond Center, Wisconsin. It is a great pleasure and an honor to be part of Grace Life Church and Anchor and Ministries. I just want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and may God richly bless you as you continue to serve Him in all parts of the world. God bless. Boom.
4: From our missionaries from Anchored in Truth. Today, we're going to take whatever offering we receive, unless otherwise designated, it'll go to Anchored in Truth. Anchored Truth is the mission agency that we send out missionaries, primarily pastors, in various places to preach the gospel, to build churches, and we wanted to give you an opportunity to hear from them. And that was some of them. Uh, We have a conference coming up. In February, you can see Isaac uh, about that if you want to join us to meet some of these missionaries uh, in person. Today, we're going to begin with our candle lighting. We use this Advent candle as really an object lesson. The first one we talked about was Christ being the light of the world. And the second one is Christ and remembering indeed that he is Son of God. This third one we did last week to remind us that Jesus, of course, is Savior. Today we have a fourth one to read, and I invite Isaac and Jackie White to come forward and lead us. You'll need your worship folder, and in here, here is an opportunity for you to respond as congregation as we think about Jesus Christ, who indeed is Lord.
2: I like this candle to remind us of God's promise to send the one who is to be the Lord of all. People were burdened down by having to obey mean rulers and kings. People were burdened down in their hearts, too, by obeying their own sinful desires. But the prophets told of God's promise. God would send one who would be the Lord of all. The prophet Isaiah said, A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Who is this Lord who would rule our lives? Our, our Lord, Lord Jesus is Jesus Christ, Christ, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, and the Lord
4: of lords. Amen. I was going to lead us in prayer, and before we do, I just want to recognize a few this time of year that have been uh, really helpful for me in the church um, Every year when I think about this, well, I really want to recognize all of you, because all of you do participate as servants of Christ. Uh, There's a term, a Greek word, dekanos, um, deacon, if you will. Uh, Those terms became a technical term just to describe someone who within the church was a servant of the Lord. Um, And so I would recognize all in that sense that we, we serve. I'm even thinking of those that are currently homebound, uh, uh, Darrell and uh, Gordon, who's now in the hospital as well. I talked to Gordon last night, and I asked him to be in prayer for us today, and I appreciate all of you participating and praying, uh, and, and, and we need to do so. By the way, uh, uh, the Cindy Nunn had an accident on her way here, and so uh, pray for her as well as we do for one another. But I do want to take a moment and then for us to pray corporately and then to recognize some of the servants here that have really been a great help to this church. And one of them is Jeremy, who I think he went off to go see his mom. And, uh, and so we in prayer for him. But Jeremy helps me out a lot in coordinating a lot of things. And I don't see Eric, who helps with our maintenance, um, so I 'm going to keep his. Uh, no, uh, I wanted to recognize him. And uh, I do have some people in the sound room in the back, and I 'm going to make you put your sound stuff away and come up here. I know you don't want to. But I want Paul and um, to come forward. Paul has really helped us with this, and I really appreciate it. And, and yes. Addie, and you're going to have to stand up here and me embarrass you because I'm going to pray particularly for you. If you'll stand up here. Paul's really helped us a lot with that. We've been in prayer for you. And I think you know a couple other people, Addie and Bailey, who has helped us, uh, both the, the uh, audio and videos. And Yes, I have to embarrass you. Come up here. I'd like to just have the church, you to be recognized, and have the church pray for you. and. Um, can't tell you girls apart you look like twins but fortunately you have different colors so that's good and i appreciate your service and helping us with the website and our social media and the things that we have going on here as well uh is rodney our cpa here come on up rodney i know you guys don't want this but this is just what i do i really think thankful for all your work and to you it seems you think it's nothing i think it's everything um i want to call up uh some of our deacons, let's see, Isaac, and appreciate your work here as well. And I'm going to have Kim stand in the place of Blake, who is ill today. You'll come, thank you. You stand up here and get that to your husband and tell him to get well soon. And one of our elders, and let's see, who else do I have? Oh, I don't know. Some of these music people I will put we'll that um, come on up here, Amanda, thank you for working with the children. What a great blessing. And there's somebody hiding behind the piano. You'll have to come out. I really appreciate you helping us worship Christ today and every day. And then someone that um, keeps trying well, her husband keeps trying to take her away from us, but really helps with the children so much. Is she downstairs? Where's Gail at? Oh, she's just hiding back there. Come on up, Gail. And I appreciate, we appreciate you and want to pray for you. Come on up. And then uh, last but not least, where, where's, is Linda here today helping with us? She's in the nursery. Where's Jerry? Back there. Come on up here. I have something for you. I guess we can't relieve Linda at the moment. Utter chaos would occur downstairs. So you'll stand for yourself as well as her. I appreciate Jerry's one of our elders, and he was the, one of the first ones, and I really appreciate you. Um, faithfulness.
5: First shall be last,
4: right? <laughs> yeah, apparently. But we do, do have one more, and that's Andy. He's like the cat that keeps trying to get away, and we won't let him ever leave. So I really appreciate all your help. If you'll come up here stand. And then one more. Yes? How much do you appreciate <laughs> Not as much as you think. So stand up here. And then one more. My beloved Christmas bride. We were married December 8th, 39 years ago. And these elders probably can testify too that she really puts up with a lot, doesn't she? No. All our wives do. And I thought about doing something special for our wives. Your tr- this church has... Some special elders who really work together, in, even in our differences. And there she is. And Miss America, right here. Thank you. Um, and I re- we really appreciate you, uh, elders' wives, as well. They um, do a tremendous amount of work. You know, it's difficult for me to every Sunday to have to come in here with a, a decent mood and idea and, uh, and have a, a decent mind throughout the course of the week. And you suffer a lot with me to help me to be in good spirits uh, every week, to be able to preach the word, to do so with great confidence and without conflict in our life. Um, and that means a lot, and I really appreciate it. Um, thanks for putting up with me. Thanks for all of you for putting up with me as well. I really appreciate you. <clears throat> Let me pray for these servants and for you as well. I'll be giving a special message next week on the body of Christ and our part in it. But I just did want to highlight some of these. Yes. I have to stand here? Okay. I will. Getting feedback in the mic. All right. Thank you for helping. Let us pray as a church. Oh, Father, we come to you this day, this eve of Christmas A day in which we are anticipating the remembrance of the glory that you have granted to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who would take on human flesh, who would live among us, live an entire life without sin, Who, who would earn that righteousness and merit that we need to stand before you, who would then take our sin on his body, on the tree, die, and pay for every one of our transgressions and then to triumphantly rise from the dead and send on high and really in Christ we look forward to that very thing as well to be in your very presence you in doing so you have given gifts gifts to the church that you are building the gifts are these people and all of us together that are uniquely gifted some in very quiet and behind the scenes ways others that are very much more obvious and participate i pray that you'd bless each one in the way that you have gifted them and enabled them to be a part of this church for us to to be together this is not something that we accomplish on our own but something that you accomplish something that you accomplish for our good and your glory i pray that you would use our collective gifts together to bring many sons and daughters to praise your holy name. I pray for every child that will even sing today. Would you save each one? Would you give them a new heart? Would you give them a life of great flourishing in, even in this life? Whatever chaos and confusion they might face in days ahead, if you should tarry, I pray that this will be a great foundation to equip them to be able to stand firm in that day, and indeed to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. I am thankful for all that you have gathered together here in this place to bring this about, and may we each contribute in the unique ways in which you have called us. Bless us and keep us. May your face shine on all of us, and may the glory of Christ be seen in each. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless
1: you.
4: I think you should lead that.
1: Okay, we're all going to turn around. Which camera should we look at? <sighs> the, one's there. the one back there by Curtis' handsome face. Let's <clears> stand, <throat> turn around, and wish Gordon, Sue Ellen, and Daryl, and anybody else to them, in a Merry Christmas. You ready? One, two, three. Merry,
4: Merry Christmas, Christmas, everyone. God bless you. Thank you. Excuse me.
0: That's all standing here to 199. <laughs> Come, all ye faithful. 199. <laughs>
2: Thank you.
1: Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. That's in your Bible right after Luke chapter 1. I'd like to thank the ladies and the children. Uh, What a wonderful medley of songs to help prepare our hearts for worship. And now we can hear what Luke penned. Luke chapter 2. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so gracious to send your son to leave the matchless glory of heaven and to be incarnated, to take on human flesh as a humble babe. I thank you that you have poured out your love this way, that you have touched our hearts And I ask that you would regenerate hearts today. For everyone that does not know you, would you save their souls today? Give them a new heart so they can worship you properly, aright, and with great freedom. I thank you for the peace we have, especially in this congregation, because of the Holy Spirit. You have blessed us. Help us to be a blessing to those with whom we rub shoulders this Christmas season, help us to have a gentle reason, a word for the hope we have. Let us not just get caught up in the the gift giving and the festivities, but help us to take time to share Christ and say, this is why I celebrate. The Lord of glory has renewed me and given me new life. Please watch over our pastor as he preaches. Give him clarity of speech and freedom. And I ask that you would bless the the offerings we, we put. Would you use them to spread the name of Jesus Christ and to strengthen your servants here on earth? In Jesus' precious name, amen.
4: beautiful hymn. Thanks for sharing, ladies. Thanks, children, as well, for leading us into worship of Christ today. You'd like to join in a continuing celebration. We'll begin at 6 o'clock tonight. We'll have a candlelight communion. It'll be from 6 to 7, and we'll spend some time singing carols to Christ as well. So I encourage you to join us tonight at 6 o'clock if you can for our candlelight communion. You don't have to be a member to receive communion. You need to be in Christ, however, and it's a great way to begin this celebration on this Christmas Eve. This morning I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. We're going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse if you haven't been with us. This book as I see it is a sermon. It's a sermon by a preacher. I think it was Paul recorded by Luke, but that's just me. In any case, it's certainly an exemplar of a sermon. Chapter 8 talks about this is a word of exhortation. The subject is Christ. That's what it is from the beginning to the end. The supremacy of Christ. And here we've come to the end of chapter 9. And I want to add something here and for, your, for you to see. Before we do that, let's just go back in time with Matthew. That kind of sets the stage for us. Matthew begins talking about the first advent of Christ, what we call Christmas. He says, The birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, being a just man, And unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Then a miracle happens. As he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He will save his people from their sin. That's why he was born. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Jesus means deliverer. It means savior. He will save his people from their sin. In fact, all of this he would go on to say in Matthew, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew actually helps us out by telling us that Emmanuel means God with us. For God to truly, truly be with us, together with us, we must be freed from the bondage of sin. That's why he must save us from sin. What is sin? Sin is lawlessness. It's a failure to glorify God. The Puritan Preacher Ralph Jenning, Venning, in his book, The Sinfulness of Sin, put it this way. Sin is a transgression of such gravity that it dares to defy the very justice of our almighty creator. It becomes a rapacious assault on the wellsprings of his boundless mercy, a sinister affront that jeers at the gentle cadence of his patience. Sin. Sin. A sly and treacherous foe slights the omnipotent power of God in its unholy arrogance, shows contempt for the divine love that courses through the very fabric of existence. The sinfulness of sin is not merely an act of rebellion. It's a calculated challenge to the sacred harmony and an audacious rebellion against the sovereign majesty of a benevolent Lord. Well said. Sin, you see, is that poison that corrodes the very foundation of the soul. It's a stain that seeps into the deepest recesses of our inner being. Like a cancer, it spreads to kill every fiber of who we are. It's dark, it's deadly, it's evil. It cannot be ignored. It must be confronted. It must be dealt a deadly blow, or it will strike one of its own. Owen put it this way, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's precisely what Jesus came to do that first Christmas morn. A light... Shining in darkness, a light of life, not death. A light of life has come, the seed of a woman, to crush the head of Satan. He was wounded in so doing. As Isaiah said, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. It is with his wounds that we are then healed. This is what Christ has done. And that's what the preacher is trying to remind his audience. He would have a tendency to go back to the ritual of a religious system, which was only put in place to point to the reality of who Jesus actually is. One who can take away sin. Yes, that deadly curse. Death, and only Him. We're in chapter 9. We'll begin at verse 15, but look beyond that to to one passage. It says, how much more, and he keeps doing that about Christ compared to the symbols that pointed to him, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit, blood of Christ means His death, Blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is truly a miracle, an amazing gift of God's grace and love. This preacher in Hebrews emphasizes more than any other place in the New Testament of this very work of Christ. His mediatorial work, a mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, the only one. The only one who then could stand on both sides of the equation, who did take on human flesh without sin. Christ has done much. He is doing much, and He'll do much more. And I think that's how this preacher resolves this particular passage that I want you to see. And young folks who are listening along and taking a little note or two, I'm going to give you a challenge as we read this text, and maybe you adults can play along too. Because as I study through the book of Hebrews, you say, well, you know the book of Hebrews really well. Um, I don't know it well enough, and the more I go back to it, the more I learn. It 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 is all of scripture is this way. You're never going to plumb the depths of it. Okay? And I am the one who gets the most out of this. And you say, Well, how can you preach with such passion and conviction? Because I spent time with God in his word. And it is a great experience and I encourage you to do so too. I'm kind of forced to it. I have to come here each week and talk about it. I I hope it challenges you and encourages you to do the same. But I thought this week, particularly in thinking of connecting, you know, we didn't didn't have a special Christmas sermon, per se, and I do some from time to time, and that's fine to do, but, you know, you can see Christ just about anywhere, and here it's really clear, and I want you to, to notice one word repeated three times in our text. Technically, it's a a variance of a Greek word because it uses different tenses, but it's essentially from the same root. And so in the English translation, it is translated the same way. The word is appear. Look for it in our text, and that'll be a key to understand where this preacher is going. But we'll go ahead and begin with this therefore. The therefore is based on... Christ's death, this death which, in which he destroys sin, he then is a mediator, it says, verse 15 in chapter 9, of a new covenant. New in, compar- in contrasted to the old covenant or the Mosaic covenant. That's what's in view. And why? So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where there is a will involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at its death, since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. When every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took blood of the calves and the goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and itself and all the people, saying, <coughs> saying this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. And in the same way, sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear. In the presence of God on our behalf. Verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters in the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would give us insight into your holy word. May it accomplish what you purpose. May many come to repentance and faith. And may many continue a life of repentance of faith. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, hopefully you saw the word appear there, appearing, if you will, in your text three times. Christ, this great mediator, our great high priest, does his mediating work, not just in history, but right now, and the promise of a great future as well. Notice verse 26 has appeared, and then verse 24, and I'm going out of order just to keep us chronology straight in our mind. Verse 24, now to appear, that's the present, and, verse 28, will appear. So he doesn't do it in chronological order, but that's the way we'll take it. Has appeared, now to appear, and, verse 28, will appear. We call his first appearing, the first appearing of Christ, as his first advent, our coming, Christmas. And this is Christmas Eve, in which we anticipate a day in which we remember Christ incarnation, his birth. We call this future appearing that is saying he will come as now, the second advent, since he's already come once, and he says, I'm going away, and I'm coming back, and just as certainly as he came in a physical form, he would come again, coming back, we call that his second coming, or second advent, the now, the now appearing is some often a neglected fact, but one emphasized quite a bit by the preacher in Hebrews is his ministry and work right now is intercessory work in heaven itself. All three of these relate to his mediatorial work in saving us from sin, past, present, and future. Let's look at it in the text here. I'll just follow it in, in order in the way we might think in the, in, for the sermon today. First, and looking at the past, verse 26. He says, He has appeared, that, that is, He came, and the purpose to do, in doing that is, note, to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. This is the promise that the prophets gave. He would deal with the penalty of sin. That's what's primarily focused. Sin, as we've mentioned at the very start here, creates a great problem for all mankind. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It creates a great crisis, a penalty, a penalty whose wage is death, not just temporary, which we will experience, is appointed unto man once to die, as the text said, but an eternal death, an eternal conscious damnation, because all sin ultimately is a violation and a rebellion against the Most Holy, against God. Turn to Psalm 51, and here you have David describing it, a familiar story that we know. David took Bathsheba. He lied to his people. He deceived the woman, a man of great power, took advantage of her, no doubt lied to his people about it, orchestrated a way in which he made others under his charge to be complicit in the murder of her husband so that he could get away with it. But he couldn't get away from it because all things are open to God, and God knows. David, a man after God's own heart, did a very heartless thing. Ultimately murder, really. He was responsible for it. But why was he a man after God's own heart? It isn't about his actions as much as his confession. And you'll find that in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, he he begins this way by saying, Have mercy on me, O God. And he points to why God would have mercy in the first place because he knows who God is. According to your chesed in Hebrew, it's steadfast love. This is mercy, grace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, all of that rolled up in a single word that we have translated steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, then blot out my transgressions, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And this is what someone who has a heart for God does. They're not perfect in all of their actions, but when confronted with them, they come to God for confession. And he does. And then he'll say in verse 3, he says... I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It is like a weight around his neck that will bring him to destruction. It it is like an anchor tied around his neck. If he's in the sea, it would drown him, if you will. But notice verse 4, because we've already talked about all of the violations that he occurred, at least some of them. I mean, against the woman, against his people, against uh, Uriah, who he killed, against his own uh, military force, who he, he called them into deception and asked them to commit a treasonous act, if you will. But look how he looks at his sin and all that he has done, and who he has really ultimately offended. Here it is, verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil. (coughs) What is evil in your sight, you see? I I mean, I'm not suggesting we don't hurt other people and, and cause heinous acts towards others. But get to the root of it. It is ultimately a sin against God. Every sin is. It's against a benevolent and holy God. And that's what he sees. Ultimately, it's against you. That's who I've really offended. I've hurt these other people. Sure. Yes, he did. But ultimately, it's against God. And it brings about a great weight to him. His sin is before him. And then he says, well, God, you are justified in whatever you do and blameless. Because he knows that he is guilty and worthy of wrath. He, he recognizes his sinful condition. In verse 5, I was born in iniquity, as we all are. This is, by the way, these little ones, you don't have to teach them to lie, cheat, and steal. They can figure out it on their own. It's part of their nature. It's called sin. It, it, it is revealed in each of us in different ways. Oh, it may not be the magnitude of what David did, sure. But every sin is a rebellion against God. Teach that to the little ones. This is why little ones are taught to then obey and honor their parents. It's the first command, that it might be well with you. Under the Mosaic code, a disobedience meant death. But it might be well that your life might flourish, because why? You learn to obey those who are in authority. You you do that, then you learn by so to how to obey God, which is ultimately the most significant and important. He recognizes the sinful condition. Look at verse 6. He says, "You, you, you delight in truth. That's what God is about. Truth in the inward being, not deceit, not saying, well, everyone else does that. Or, you know, I just have this natural proclivity to rebellion. No. He wants truth. The truth is, I'm guilty and I was wrong. And then he prays to God to teach him wisdom in the secret heart. And that's the key, by the way. Heart. You see that? That's the inward It's really not talking about organ in your body. It's talking, particularly in the Hebrew sense, of your mind. That immaterial being, that person who you really are. Not externally, so that everybody can see whatever you do. That's hypocrisy. It's about the heart of the matter, ultimately. That's what he's talking about. And he calls for God to purge him, (coughs) to clean him, to then... Here, joy and gladness, that is a restoration. And he calls for God to blot out his iniquities. Why? Why would God do this? Because he's already stated it in verse 1, his steadfast love. That's why, because that's the very character of who God is. Have you sinned against God? Do you understand? You can go to him and confess. And God will Respond and give you a clean heart. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, he says, and renew a right spirit within me. There's a cleansing and then a, a renewal that's talking about. And then verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence. And that is, if you remain in sin, what you do is put up a barrier between you and God. And you, and, and you no longer have that fellowship with him. You, you, God is no longer with you in that sense. So he's asking that to be removed so that he could be with God. How would he be with God? Well, God would need to save him from his sin. And then beyond that, and I'll need to finish this. We're going to get to the end here. But um, he will teach his trans, transgressors, verse 13 that is, you know, when you have this experience, then you can teach others that very truth. And we can proclaim that to all people. Listen, come to God now. Don't, don't just get your life right externally. God can change it internally. And he can truly deliver you. And one of the responses of a delivered soul is to sing praises to him. Verse 15. But I want you to notice one thing before I jump from here, and that's verse 16, because it has a lot to do with Hebrews and the idea of the Old Covenant, which David knew very well. Do you notice verse 16? It says, you will not delight in sacrifice, or I'd give it to you. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. What is he talking about there? I thought that's what they did, to take care of Sin. But no, he's not. He says, I, I'm not going to go through that ritual. If I could, I, I, I would. When you get back to Hebrews 9, you remember we looked at verse 7 in Hebrews 9? Yeah. Their sacrifices were for unintentional sin. He very well intended all that he did. You see, what he deserved under the Mosaic Code was death for what he did. Adultery, in the code, meant death. There wasn't a sacrifice for adultery; there was death for adultery. He knows what the penalty is, so he's not going to give a sacrifice. That's for unintentional sins. Hebrews nine seven. Instead, he's just broken down and saying, "God, I, I, I deserve death. I pray that you would grant me life, because your steadfast love continues on," and that's what he says in verse seventeen. The sacrifices, really, ultimately, the real sacrifice, is a broken spirit and a contrite heart, and God will not despise it. That's good news. You see, th- this is what God has done. It, in back to our text in Hebrews, in Hebrews nine. And and verse 15, that did you did you see it? It 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 was that death of Christ that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Those sins that David did were paid for. They're paid for by Christ. God puts them on Christ. That's who died. There had to be a death to occur. And so what does David do? Say, I'm worthy of death. I come to you in repentance, and God is a good and gracious and forgiving God. Those transgressions committed all the way up to this point in history for which God looked over, for which God was patient about. He took them, as Paul would tell the church at Colossae, to cancel that debt. How? How? That debt that stood against us, David, everyone, he set them aside historically in the past when he appeared by nailing them to the cross. Do you see the nail going in? You should have been crucified. You should have suffered and died. But by God's grace, he put them on Christ, and so now... Because of Christ's first appearing, Christmas, what a beautiful day, because he has come to save his people from their sin. And now, for those that are in Christ, no condemnation. Now, if you're not in Christ, you you are condemned already, I should say. If you're in Christ, if you have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, you come to Christ, it's evidenced in your life that now you, you, you have a changed disposition. There's no guilt there's no condemnation. There's always forgiveness. If you go to Him for forgiveness, He's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why? Because Christ has already died. He's already appeared. That's the first advent. He's taken us, taken that penalty, that debt away. If you receive some sort of Difficulty in this life, believer, those in Christ, it isn't punishment. It's not wrath. He will spare you from the wrath to come. Discipline, yes, and we'll get that later in Hebrews. As a father disciplines a child, why? To to inflict punishment and pain on them? No, to train them in the way that they should go so that they would flourish in life so that they would become more like Christ. But understand this, in Christ, his appearing, this first advent, was to save us from our sin, save us from the penalty. The second one is to save us from the power of it. And back to Hebrews 9, do you see it in 24? It isn't just that he has appeared in the past. Now this is the present, now to appear He appears in the presence of God, note this text, on our behalf. This is speaking of the present intercessory work of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this? Christ not only took care of the penalty forever, no condemnation, no guilt, but he also cleanses. There's no filth in the Christian. That's what he's doing now. His mediatorial work saves us from the power of sin in this life right now, in the presence of God, in, on our behalf. And by the way, I'll walk through this quickly because you've heard it before, but it, it's worth repeating. This present intercessory work, I'm talking right now on behalf of those who have repented and put their trust in Jesus Christ, that power of Christ is, is occurring right now And he does so with great compassion. Hebrews 4.15. We don't have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. Why? That's why he lived for 33 years. He went through every stage of life from infancy, toddler, little kid, teenager, young, and to an adult. In every respect, he was tempted like we were, and by the way, I would add a lot more because most of us break at some point. He never broke. He felt the weight of it, the pull, but he never gave in, proving his righteousness But yet he understands, and God does walk in your shoes. Don't ever pretend, well, well, no one's ever experienced whatever I'm going through in life. Jesus knows. He's not only God. He knows it intellectually, if you will. Omniscient God, but also experientially. He knows what the pain is, and and a lot more than I ever imagined. Could you imagine the Lord of glory and to be treated like he was? At any moment, could call a legion of angels to just... Wipe everyone out, and yet he's so patient and doesn't. God incarnate, are you kidding? He knows. And he's engaged in, as the preacher would talk about, in an intercessory work right now for you to to you to have power over sin, if you will. Not just the penalty, but the power over sin. Because he prays. Yeah. We talked about it before. You know why Peter's faith didn't fail? Because Jesus prayed for him, that's why. And for all of those in Christ, Christ is praying for you. I pray for you a lot. I pray for my family, my wife, my friends, the people I think about, people that are hurt. i we, we pray all the time. Christ prays. And all of his prayers are perfect. He ever lives, 725 of Hebrews. He ever lives to make intercession for them. That's described as He can save to the uttermost. Why? He can save you right now in the hour of greatest need. He can grant the power needed to overcome sin in your life. Because He has that authority, He has that power. If you remember in chapter 8... He says, now what we're saying is this, the, con- the conclusion of this exhortation, the highlight of Hebrews is this, we have such a high priest who's seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's a seat of power, you understand. That, that's who's on your side, if you will. You couldn't get any greater advocate than Jesus Christ. He is there to save you, by the way, Christian, from the power of sin. Sin will not dominate the Christian. And I have quite a lengthy thing to go through on this, and I'll try to be as brief as I can, and please don't snicker. But you can look it up later. Christian, because of the intercessory work of Christ... You will have the power over sin. Christ will change the very nature of who you are. You say, well, I'm just naturally angry. I'm just naturally bitter. I'm just naturally anxious. I'm just naturally sexually deviant. And whatever you want to put in there, you may still wrestle and struggle with those what we would call the the remaining flesh, that part of humanity that is not redeemed, that will be finally delivered, which we'll get to here in a minute. But in this life, it will be overcome. Everyone in Christ is a new creation. Paul will go on and tell the church of Corinth who had all kinds of problems, and he told them that sexually immoral people, idolaters, drunkards, Homosexuals, thieves and greedy people, drunkards, swindlers, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And by the way, quit lying to people today. Tell them the truth. Don't redefine truth. Don't lower the bar so that people can easily cross over it. Because you're not. Because just failing at one thing is guilty of it all. Look, look at the bar raised up on Christ and nail it there. That's the deliverance, by the way. Doesn't mean you won't struggle or wrestle, but I can tell you this, you have an intercessor in heaven. Oh, his name is Jesus Christ. He's at the right hand of the power on high. He has the authority and he has the ability Don't be swallowed into this, oh, I just was born this way, or I just have to, circumstances of my life. No, you can radically change everything. Believe in Christ. Put your faith in Him. Recognize who He is. And here I would just address Romans chapter 6 if you want to look, and maybe chapter 8 if I can touch on it. In Romans 6, Paul says, Thinks about those that are in Christ, who, who has had the penalty of sin paid for, and now live under the power of the gospel, for which he is not ashamed to proclaim. One sixteen in Romans, he said, uh, "Christ will forgive you for your sin, and so wherever sin is, grace abounds even more." That's the thing. As great as your sin is, and whatever your habitual problem is, or whatever's going on, you understand there's more grace. Okay? It's greater than all your sin. Whatever it is, it's, it's so abundantly great. It's like it's flowing, cascading, bigger than the Niagara with great power. That's Christ. He said, no, we're not going to then use this as an excuse for Christians then. Oh, well, if I know he'll just forgive me of my sin, so I'll just go ahead and do this. No. That cannot possibly be. And he'll say that in verse 2 of chapter 6. Greek word means that's an impossibility why he says because if you have been baptized well, the word baptize there means immersed if you've been immersed in Christ into his death in other words we were we were buried and with with him in order that Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the father that we too might walk in newness of life that walk is a lifestyle that is a lifestyle change you want to change your lifestyle come to Christ Not only to get the penalty paid for, but also the power to live now in Christ, to walk in this newness of life. And so he tells the church in verse 11 then to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. It's a matter of changing the mind. Don't sit there and tell yourself, I'm enslaved to sin. I have to do this because maybe this was the manner of life. Not anymore. Not in Christ. Everything is new. And you say, well, it's not for me. Well, go to him. He's interceding for you on your behalf. Go to Christ. That's the call. Sin doesn't have to reign anymore in your body. Verse 12 of Romans 6 to make you obey its passions, see? Because Christ is more powerful than your passion. Sin will not have dominion over you, Paul would say, verse 14. How does this happen? It's a change of heart. I'll drop down to verse 17. He says, but thanks to God for His grace, because... At one time you were slaves to sin, but you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching that you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Do you get it? It's black and white, polar opposite. This is what Christ does. Yes, you'll have to kill the deeds of the flesh. That's in chapter 8 and verse 13. But you do it not from the flesh, but by the power of the Spirit. All right, I'll finish this up. Back to Hebrews 9 and verse 28. Not only does it save us from the penalty, but also the power, beloved, but also the, finally the presence of sin itself. This is why we look forward to Christ's second advent, his appearing. Do you see that, how it closes in chapter 9 and verse 28? He's going to appear, and it says a second time, because the first time is Christmas. The right? mm-hmm. second time is what we call his second coming. But he's not going to deal with sin in his second coming. Instead, he's going to deal with saving those who are eagerly waiting for him. I'm waiting for him. I'm tired of sin in my own life. I'm tired of seeing it in your life and other people's life, in the world in which we live, the community. I, I'm, I get tired of reading about it. I, I don't watch much TV because I don't like to look at it. I'm tired of it. I'm eagerly waiting for Christ. Could you imagine what it's going to be like with no more sin? No, you can't. I can't either. It's, it's beyond what we could imagine. But Christ has promised to come a second time to deliver us from the presence of all evil, the worst of which is death. In fact, if you're in Hebrews, you can look back to chapter 2. He's already said that. In chapter 2, he comes, talking about his incarnation. In verse 14, he comes, takes on flesh and blood. That's talking about Christmas, the incarnation, his first advent, he took that on to partake of the same things that through death, here's the ultimate end, what is it? He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and positively to deliver those who through fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery, that's us. That's what we're waiting for that final deliverance from the very presence of sin, which we all hate. God has promised to stop the crying. And I don't mean to start your crying, but the consequences of sin in all of its different perspectives and ultimately death brings a lot of weeping, doesn't it? I mean, we don't even like people to get hurt. We had somebody hurt today and, you know, we felt pretty bad about it. We have people in the hospital that we hurt for and maybe tear up a little bit. And then if we lose them to death, we'll cry because we love them and it's a great sorrow. But God is like a compassionate father and take and wipe away those tears. But the difference between me, who I'm a compassionate father and grandfather, and I'll wipe away the little tears from those who hurt, but they might come again. And I'll keep wiping, but God just does it one time as is appearing. That's the imagery that's given. Death is said to be swallowed up in victory. That swallowing death, that's an imagery you can find in the Psalms and Proverbs. Just imagine that visual imagery of your loved one going in in the grave. They're being swallowed. Paul would remind us in 1 Corinthians 15, the the resurrection chapter. The Christ who has all authority and power is coming. The end is coming. And what will it look like when he delivers the kingdom of God, destroying every rule and every authority, that is everything that is in rebellion against God, and he is going to reign until all enemies are under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. When the imperishable puts on, when the perishable puts on imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come pass the saying it is written, "Death is swallowed up in victory." John, the apostle, will tell us about the end times event and how, what that will look like. In chapter 7, in heaven, the Lamb is wiping away the tears from the saints who are now in victory. And that culminates in chapter 21, and I'll just read it for you in close. He said, then, this is what you should be eager to be waiting for if you're in Christ. Penalty? Yeah. Power? Yeah. Presence? Yes. And I'll read it for you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Of course, it has to be new, right? You don't want to live in a sin-cursed earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What a beautiful imagery. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God has finally eliminated the presence of sin now. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and the death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, crying or pain. The former things I passed away. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Incredible love in granting us Christ. You not only took care of the penalty and has the power even now for us to overcome that which we struggle with, but we look forward to the soon return of Christ that we can be in your presence, in which is joy forevermore. I pray this be a reality in all our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. I'll give you a moment to think and respond to Christ in the way he has spoken to you. Take a moment now. son and you shall call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sin
0: amen let's go ahead and stand and turn to number 212 gentle mary later child 212 Gracious Father, we're indeed grateful for this opportunity we have to gather together now this morning and to uh, sing praises unto you and to to be able to <clears throat> think upon the birth of your Son, Lord, the first Advent, and Lord, we just give you all praise and honor and glory, and just pray that you would help us to always honor Christ in all that we say and do and throughout the this time of family gathering and being together with, with many of those who are not born again, Lord, to be able to spread the joy to all of our uh, friends and relatives. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>